I always carried a lot of weight and a lot of tension about making sure we delivered on what we needed to deliver on. And I did that way too often at the expense, honestly, of my own joy, at yeah. Tiffany's joy in our job, because of course, being my partner and being my wife, she had to deal with my anxiousness the most. Because again, yeah. when you're in front of the client, you're a lot of us were very good at turning it on and being, yeah. you know, happy and upbeat, but it's in the shadows when the stress hits and the worry hits that those closest to us kind of see that come to the surface. So I've, I've ruminated on that a lot lately and really wish going back, I would have spent the time to enjoy the process more. You're listening to Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast episode 40. As entrepreneurs, I think we all dream of that big pinch me moment, achieving a certain revenue milestone, working with an ideal client, receiving an accolade or award. What isn't talked about often is what comes after the big win. Do we stop and celebrate or just move on? Today's guest has a pinch me list a mile long, working with clients like HGTV, Magnolia Journal, and TV personalities like B. Patrick Flynn. Yet our conversation today centered around learning to enjoy the journey, celebrating small wins, and to stop stressing so much about reaching the destination. It was refreshing for sure, and I cannot wait for you to listen in on my conversation with Robert Peterson, interior photographer and co-founder of Rustic White Photography. If you dig professional bios, here goes. In 2010, Robert Peterson began photographing weddings with his wife and business partner, Tiffany. While capturing memorable moments worth treasuring for newlyweds, he was deeply inspired by the slower pace that food and interior photography offered. He now spends most of his working days photographing interiors for clients like House Beautiful, Magnolia Journal, Lux Magazine, HGTV, and Home Depot, working with designers such as Matthew Quinn, Phoebe Howard, and Brian Patrick Flynn, to name a few. Robert and I have known each other since the early days of our businesses, and it was such a treat to catch up with him on today's show. Without further ado, let's dive in. Hey, it's Shanna, and this is Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast. For the past 15 plus years, I've had the honor to hear thousands of stories from entrepreneurs around the world. As a former Fortune 100 financial advisor turned business consultant, I have a unique opportunity to see the real behind the highlight reel. I'm talking profit and loss statements, unpaid taxes, moments of burnout, and those of utter victory. Or as my husband says, the content everyone is wondering, but not many are talking about. And now I'm bringing these private conversations to you. Hear the untold stories of how industry leaders, founders, and up-and-coming entrepreneurs got their start, the experiences that shaped them, and the journey to building the brands they have today. Stories that will inspire and reignite, encourage to redefine success, and build a life and business on your own terms. Welcome, Wildflower. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Robert, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to chat and catch up. We have like five years of catching up to do. I know, right? I, I'm i not sure if it's five or it's 15. It's it, There's a big gray zone there in the middle, but I haven't talked to you in forever, so I was so excited when you reached out. I know. I, I truly, let's think about it. It has to be, I want to say it was like 2016, five to eight years ago. So yeah. much has changed in that season of life. I'm I'm just excited to hear. Okay, tell everybody who you are. And then I just want to like throw it way back to life before business. How did you get started as an entrepreneur? Let's go all the way back. Okay. Well, I guess to jump in where I am right now, my name is Robert Peterson. I'm an interiors and architectural photographer based out of Atlanta. I would say I probably spend a good 40% of my work traveling for projects, but I'm based here locally, which is always nice anytime I have a project in Atlanta because I love sleeping in my own bed. Yeah. I love using my own shower and traveling is fun, but you quickly realize when you do it for work, it gets overrated really quickly. Yeah. So that's where I am now. 
where I started with photography. I am not a trained photographer or did I study photography in school or anything. I actually stumbled through studying media communications, which I call my BS and BS because I didn't know <laughs> what I wanted to do. Shortly after graduating, I met my wife, Tiffany, and we got married in 2009. Right after that is a birthday gift. I bought her a camera. She was working part-time as a kindergarten teacher. She would babysit kids on the side. I stumbled into being a personal trainer, which I was also not qualified to do. <laughs> I just was at a gym one day and somebody was like, you look fit. Do you want to be a personal trainer? And I was like, I need a job. And I was a personal trainer. So I'm working as a personal trainer. She's working as a kindergarten teacher. It's 2009. I bought her a camera and she started taking pictures for families and kids and things like that on the side. And then I believe it was early 2010, a dad actually reached out to her and was like, hey, I've seen some of your photography. My daughter's getting married. I would love to talk to you. We knew nothing about wedding photography. Yeah. We had only attended our own wedding together. And so we were like, great, let's go to this. I went along for moral support. We're sitting there at the table with the dad and the daughter, the fiance, the mom. And we kind of had this like little spiel we had tried to put together and Tiff's talking to them. And then the dad's like, okay, great. So what do you need? 50% now? And we're like, yes. And I remember he wrote us a check for a thousand dollars and we're like, that's the most money anybody could ever make in a day. <laughs> and, and so we, yeah, we, we photographed that wedding. I mean, first we went home, we immediately had to look up on Google. What do you photograph on a wedding day? Yeah. And made it through that one. And that first year, I think we ended up booking nine more. And the next year, I think jumped to 24 and then it was like 33 and it just kind of took off from there. And all of a sudden we found ourselves being wedding photographers in the Atlanta market. This is incredible because, okay, so it's 2010-ish, it sounds like, mm -hmm. just coming out of a recession. And how did you start photographing with Tiffany? So we took that $1,000. She already had a camera. I went and we ended up, I remember we started on Nikon because my dad actually had a few old Nikon lenses, which would still work on today's DSLRs. And we were like, great. We have some extra lenses. We're going to photograph on Nikon. And yeah. so I went, bought an inexpensive Nikon camera body. We bought two flashes. This was right around the same time. There was a lot of education platforms coming out online right around 2009, 2010. I think, I think the recession really turned a lot of people into pivoting into these other businesses. And yeah. education platforms, especially for creative, started to get really popular. There was one called Creative Live. I know there were a few other ones as well. There were Zach and Jody Gray out of Tennessee who were doing workshops. There was Jasmine Starr out of California doing workshops, Jose Villa. All these different photographers really starting to put this education source out there. I remember Emily from Once Wed was creating education information that she was putting out there. And it was it really just kind of hit at the perfect time that we yeah. were able to sort of deep dive and use all of that to grow our knowledge base really, really fast. And that allowed us to um, kind of tackle this with a in an industry that we knew nothing about going into. Not only did we not know photography and really even how to use our cameras, but we didn't know the wedding world, what the expectation was, how a day would unfold, working with other vendors, working with the bride. And it really became a really quick crash course in that. And the one thing I will say, and I always say to anybody who's moving into photography now, I feel like everybody should have to do a staple as a wedding photographer because it teaches you so much about how to operate quickly on your feet. Yeah. and pivot. And it really teaches you how to smile 
and have a great personality, even when everything around you is falling apart. Because <laughs> I would always joke with Tiff all the time and with our couples. I'm like, if you ever see me tell you to hold hands and just walk away from us, it's because I'm freaking out and I don't know what to do. And I'm looking at Tiffany going, tell me what to do. I'm out <laughs> of ideas. And because nothing on a wedding day really goes how you want it to go. The weather won't cooperate sometimes. Things will be set up where you didn't want them to set up. They'll have mowed the grass. There'll just be something going on that yeah. throws off your original plan. And you have to learn how to pivot. You have to learn how to pivot with a smile on your face because you already have a bride yeah. who is under a degree of stress. You have a mother of a bride who's under a degree of stress and you don't want to add to that stress. We always said when it came to wedding photography, we prided ourselves as much on the experience with us as we did right. the final photos because yeah. imagery photos is nothing more than bringing you back to that memory of that experience. We always said, you could have the most amazing wedding photos, but if the photographer was a jerk to you or snapped at your grandma, every time you look at that photo, that memory is going to trigger in your head. Mm, so, so, true. so it was always really important for us to let us be a part of the joy of the day. And yeah. I always kind of approached it as like, I'm there to be a court jester. I am there <laughs> to make people smile, make people laugh. If I have to say stuff that's self-deprecating, whatever it needs to be, I just simply want to diffuse the stress of the room and bring out the joy. So I just think it was such a beautiful business for teaching us not only photography, but teaching us people skills and really managing personalities. And so that's always super important. I think that translates going forward to any business you do all the time. And it also teaches you how to really be buttoned up in your business because you get one opportunity on a wedding day to get it right. Yeah. And you can't have mistakes. You can't miss an image. You can't have, I mean, camera cards fail, SD cards fail. Things can happen and you always have to have a backup plan. So that's yeah. always something I've been able to carry through the rest of my business. So we did that uh, and we photographed wedding. The last time we photographed a wedding would have been 2021. We had a few booked the year of 2020 with COVID and then a few of those got moved into 21. And at that point, we kind of had decided we were stepping out of the industry. I really feel one, that world of wedding photography is such a young person's game. Yeah. And you kind of just age to a point where you're like, I don't want a 26 year old telling me what to do anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you just, you just kind of get there and it's wonderful. I'm so grateful for our time doing it. And I will say, I wish I would have enjoyed the process more over being so stressed out. And that's one thing I'm taking forward in life here is just really trying to enjoy the process more, but I actually want you, Robert, to expand on that a little bit, if you would be willing to, in what ways do you feel like you carried stress in that kind of it sounds like 10 years of the wedding photography business, one or two things kind of stand out that were maybe the most stressful for you or that you wish you could have like laid down that stress a little more? Yeah, I think I put a lot of pressure on us very heavily that at this point, you know, going into 2013, 2016, in 2016, we'd had our second daughter. So now we have two children, we have a mortgage this is our sole source of income. This is what we do. This is kind of became part of our identity of who we are. We are wedding photographers. And it really became a bit nerve wracking in the sense that like all of our eggs are in this basket. This really needs to go well because, you know, we support our family off this. And so going into every wedding, going into every session, I carried a lot of stress about making sure we delivered for the client because mm -hmm. I always felt at the end of the day, the bride doesn't care. I mean, she, she does care, but from my point of view, she's not going to be concerned with any excuses. I can't go to her later and say, oh, well, the weather was bad. Oh, they set up the bar over there and they told me it was going to be over here. So we didn't have that backdrop. 
they're not going to be concerned with our excuses for why we didn't deliver the imagery they wanted. It's just the fact that we didn't deliver the imagery they wanted. So I always carried a lot of weight and a lot of tension about making sure we delivered on what we needed to deliver on. And I did that way too often at the expense, honestly, of my own joy, at Tiffany's joy in our job, because of course, being my partner and being my wife, she had to deal with my anxiousness the most. Because again, when you're in front of the client, you're a lot of us, we're very good at turning it on and being, you know, happy and upbeat, but it's in the shadows when the stress hits and the worry hits that those closest to us kind of see that come to the surface. So I've, I've ruminated on that a lot lately and really wish going back, I would have spent the time to enjoy the process more. Yeah. Enjoy the people I worked alongside more. I definitely enjoyed everyone. I enjoyed working with Tiff. I enjoyed working with all the other vendors, but not to the level I could have if I would have let myself relax and breathe a little and trust that it's all going to work out. Like yeah. that is oh, a that's so good. big yeah. thing I've been, now, now that I'm in my 40s and I can ruminate about my 30s and my 20s, a big thing I've really even now in life been working on is, and we can talk about this more later, but just personally, my faith, my faith as a Christian and my faith as the process and just trust in the process will work out. And even if the process doesn't work out how I envisioned it, chances are very often it works out better than how I envisioned it. Yeah. And stressing about it doesn't change it. It doesn't make any of it better. It just takes the joy out of it. And I think it's definitely one of those things you experience more and more as you get older. It really is the process. There's no end destination. And if you get to whatever you think the end destination is, you get that job, you make that certain amount of money. It's true. I mean, there's a reason it's a cliche statement, but it's true because it doesn't bring you that joy. You get there and all of a sudden you need to find another rung on the ladder Yeah, because the joy is not in the end, it's in the process. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Something I'm learning myself. Okay. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to go off script and ask you an interesting question. So have you ever done any like personality tests or are you into Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, any of that? Because I'm so interested if this ties into a personality trait or was it just the job fit? You know, so I haven't done the Enneagram and I haven't done any of those personality tests. I've done a tremendous amount of self-evaluating, especially this past year. I just kind of stumbled into it. I will tell you, I actually attended, I went to a Tony Robbins event. It was, I don't want to say it was on a bucket list because it wasn't that big for me, but do you know who Tony Robbins is? Kind of the, Mm -hmm. okay. So I did his date with destiny down in Florida back in November and it was something else. And it definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone. I haven't held on to some of the things I wanted to change quite as great as I have, but it gave me a tremendous amount of insight. And he talks so much about kind of the six core human needs and then your guiding question. And I think when we take the time to really kind of slow down and really figure out, we all have the same six human needs, but which ones am I hidden? And then when we slow down and go, what is the question? What is that internal dialogue I am constantly operating off of, this internal script that is driving all my decisions? And for a lot of us, it can be a very similar one. I know for me, it was sort of this, and I I almost cringe to say it out loud because it kind of sounds like self-pity, but it's not, but it's this, why am I not good enough? This this question, and it's a self-proclaimed question. And the more I dove into it, it's one that's really lived with me my entire life that I can always kind of think back on. But that question drives how you approach everything and this desire to have to prove, to have to be, you know, really great at this job or to, I personally, I, I like to work out. I do CrossFit for fun, but I have this just unnecessary need to be competitive in there. Yeah. And I think part of it, that's just CrossFit personality types, but 
I, I'm like, at the end of the day, when I'm hurt and I'm like limping around my house, I'm like, why am I so competitive with 26 year olds? I cannot compete <laughs> against 26 year olds. I need to stop this. To say all that, to say, I haven't dove into the personality test, but I've done a lot of introspection about sort of my guiding questions that guide my life and reevaluating those and creating new questions to drive myself so that life is a little more fun and a little more yeah. relaxed and not having to be so structured. Because the one thing I definitely have realized lately is I've held everything so tight. I even, you know, when we're scared, we hold things tight. When we're scared, we want control, you know, and especially if we, when we have kids, we really, you know, our biggest fear is something happening to our kids, or our kids being sick. And at the end of the day, we really don't have any control over that. So there's been sort of this release and letting go of my grip on everything. And it's been very freeing. Yeah. And it's brought a lot of calm. And I was scared if I ever did that, would it take away some of the drive to work hard? Yeah. And it doesn't. You still have the drive, but now you enjoy it a little bit more. And it's not coming from a place of stress, but it's coming from a place of excitement. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, okay. So this is such a random story, but I grew up around cars. Like my dad, my stepdad, my grandfather, like they're all into cars. And so I was taught how to drive a manual transmission when I was very young. And like, you know, I was just taught a lot about cars. So it's funny because I like to drive fast (laughs) and I used to drive a lot faster than I do now, but it kind of made me think of the analogy, but my, my biggest pet peeve probably in life is someone to tailgate me because I don't like to be pushed. And it's so funny to me, just this idea and how I relate of like, I'm such a naturally competitive, naturally ambitious, naturally overachiever, perfectionist. But if you try to push me, I will slow down. (laughs) And it's just, yeah. And so when you're talking about like this, you know, if I slow down or if I take it easier, if I relax, will I lose that drive? And it just makes me think of like, I don't need somebody on my tailgate to make me drive fast. In fact, if they're if they're on my tail, I slow down. So that's kind of what it made me think of, like you are a naturally driven person and getting learning that you can relax doesn't lose that drive is so big and so huge. Yeah, I mean, and I think we're definitely coming into a phase as a society as a whole, we're becoming a bit more introspective. And I think part of it might be almost narcissism was on such a rise and we were just, between, of course, I mean, it's it's easy to point out, but like social media and sort of this just idea of massive narcissism out there that it's kind of just hit a point with a lot of people that it's like, it's enough. And we we all have narcissistic traits. It's just a matter of, you know, where we can tell, like taper those off and bring in our empathy. But I think it's really beautiful that culturally as a whole, I think a lot of people are starting to become a bit more introspective, looking at themselves and realizing that the things And to me, I always get a visual of the 80s where it was like big and more and greed is good. Um, We're seeing kind of a new take on those things and really seeing that's not going to fill us up. What's truly going to fill us up? And it's going to be relationships. It's going to be connection. It's going to be a deeper servant purpose. And I think it's really nice that a lot of people are starting to reevaluate things and look at that. And I think that drive will just bring us all a bit closer. I was listening to the psychologist speak the other day. And they had asked her, what is the one thing you could teach your children? If you could teach them anything, if there was one thing as a psychologist with young children that you could impart on them and her answer without missing a beat was empathy. She Mm -hmm. said, there is nothing more important to an individual and how they will connect to society than empathy. And she said she would prefer that over getting them into the right schools or them being, 
incredibly smart or well-driven or anything else of that nature. And it just, it hits such a note for me and it really has resonated with me that I want to make sure we've kind of always pushed that pedal a little bit on girls to slow down and talk with them and try to get them to be empathetic and mirror them with their emotions. And I just think that's such an important drive. And I'll diverge for one second where I saw that in my own life, going back to my personal training days. And this is where I feel like we are not creatures meant for selfishness. And anytime we are very selfish, I find for myself, I get very unhappy. And I went through, man, this is going way back when I was like late teens, early twenties, I had a short stint where I worked as an actor and I kind of have burned the internet of any evidence of this, but (laughs) I, I worked enough that for two years I had my health insurance through the screen actors guild and Tiffany and I were dating. We lived together in an apartment and this was my job. And I would go to auditions and I would book gigs and I would travel and, you know, do some commercials, do some spots on TV shows and stuff. And it was the most unhappy I had ever been. And I could not figure out why. And I thought like, oh man, I just like, I'm SAG eligible. I'm getting my health insurance through the union. Like this is what I've been wanting to do for several years. And I was just so unhappy. And right around this time was when Tiffany and I got engaged and I stumbled into becoming a personal trainer. After about six weeks of personal training clients, I was like, I'm done with wanting to be an actor. Because there became this moment where when you're an actor or working in a job space like that, you were so self-focused. I woke up everything was about me. It was about me going to auditions, how I would do. It was so me-centric. And then when I went and became a personal trainer, it became you-centric. It was about my client. It was about who I was spending time with. Now, granted, I should not have been a trainer. I was not certified to be a trainer. But simply spending time with people, listening to them and focused on them brought me to such a healthier headspace than where I was when I was trying to pursue an endeavor that was all about me. And so I think when it comes to any business, I know Tony Robbins has talked about it. There's a few other people. I don't remember if Jay Shetty has talked about it, but if you want to really create a great business, serve others because it will, it will drive you. It will fulfill you. And there'll always be a need for serving others in some capacity. So if you can find a job or a passion or something of yours that serves others, and it obviously doesn't have to be like the nonprofit space. It can be a profit job. It will drive you forward. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. I want to, Robert, have you speak to, and I'm wondering if there's a connection here. So when you were doing wedding photography, feeling this stress, feeling, putting so much pressure on yourself, tell me when you started getting interested in commercial photography, interior photography, making that transition. I'd love to hear about that transition. And then also if you feel like that has been a better fit mentally even just with the fact that you can like take a photo a few times. <laughs> yes. There's not so much yeah. pressure there. Tell me about that shift when you started thinking about getting out of wedding photography and how you moved into interiors. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you off. First of all, I'll just start with this and people are going to be like, is he creating a religious podcast? No, I can tell so much, especially looking back like the hand of God over my life and moving me yeah. in places I needed to be that I didn't know I need to be. Tiff and I are probably two, three years into wedding photography, I'm still personal training a handful of people on the side because I just enjoyed it. And it gave me to do during the week as well because we would you know, photograph weddings on the weekends. During the week, maybe I would train four or five different clients. I'm training a client at her house in her driveway and this car pulls up in her driveway real fast and out pops this designer, Brian Patrick Flynn, who was doing a interiors project at her house. And he comes over and he's like, 
talking to me real fast. And anybody who's ever met Brian Patrick Flynn, he's full of energy, talks really fast, six foot four. So just like all over the place, but great guy. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, I need a personal trainer because he was bouncing between LA and Atlanta for projects. And so I'm like, great, trade information with him. I start training him probably a week or two later at his house. During the course of this, you know, when you're personal training people, you spend a lot of time talking, just getting to know each other. I was sharing, you know, how we do wedding photography, my wife and I, and things that are going on in our lives. And I would found like all of a sudden one day I'm going down to train him and he's like, Hey, bring your camera. I just redid a room at my house. I want to take some photos of it. And so I go down and instead of personal training him, I find I'm taking photos of this room. And from there, it started to kind of become this uh, pivot where all of a sudden I'm not personal training him anymore. I'm typically showing up to take photos of different projects or different, we called them step outs at the time. He was doing a lot of like DIY stuff for HGTV. And so I would show up and, you know, when you go on like that, you Google something like how to turn a shelf into a bar cart. And there's going to be all these like step outs of how to do it with photos. He was basically creating content like that for the HGTV website. So I would show up and, you know, basically almost like how people do hands and pans. I'd be shooting close-ups of hands or the bar cart or different right. things to create these stories. So all of a sudden I'm starting to do more and more of this with him and then starting to photograph more and more rooms, spaces, houses as he's doing them. And that probably went on for, I would imagine it was probably like two, maybe three years. And all of a sudden I would start getting these one-offs of other designers who had seen my work with Brian and would be like, Hey, I have this project. Would you be interested in photographing it? And it wasn't until probably I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say, I believe it was like 2018, 2019, where I was like, this is, uh, I'm, I'm starting to be pretty busy on this interiors photography. It hit, yeah. the, it hit the point where we were bringing in revenue wise as much from interiors photography as we were from photographing weddings on the weekend. I was like everything. I was scared to let go of personal training when we started wedding photography because I wanted that backup. And then I was scared to let go of the wedding photography when interiors was taken off because I wanted that backup. Yeah. And I just kind of kept rolling with both and it would get hard. Because it would be hard schedule-wise sometimes, you know, you would shoot an extended interiors pro project that might fall into a weekend, but, you know, that means that you can't put a wedding there that might have inquired. And so it became a lot of different juggling of aspects. And our lives were just getting busier, too. At this point, you know, we have both daughters. They're getting bigger. Tiff was homeschooled, teaching both of them, spending time with them. And the one thing with wedding photography people don't realize is it's not really a weekend job. You are on it all week long, whether you're doing pre-pro and basically working with brides, working with vendors, trying to coordinate, create schedule timelines, everything like that, answering emails. Or in my case, I would handle all the post-production. So you have to edit all these images at some point, do the photo album and turn all that those deliverables in. And so our lives were just getting busier and busier. So we really kind of just started to organically phase out the amount of wedding photography we were doing and the amount of interiors photography kind of kept ramping up. Where we really saw the change was, of course, 2020 when COVID hit, it was by the grace of God. I mean, we had, I had been doing a good bit of interiors photography. And when COVID actually hit, like a lot of people know, everybody was stuck in their homes. And there was this massive shift towards, especially people who have money, who typically hire interior designers, hiring interior designers, hiring architects, builders, doing renovations at their homes. Yeah. And so 2020 saw the biggest year we had ever had on interiors photography when there was no wedding work. So yeah. it carried us through. And it's funny, I, I mean, just always looking for the pivot. We were, I always call us like semi-granola. Like, I mean, we worked from home, we homeschooled our kids. We had like a little garden in the backyard. And a lot of things with HGTV, 
and what they share online is SEO based, of course. Yeah. Well, when COVID hit, we were already kind of homebodies, like semi hermits. So things we already had around the house were pretty perfect. And we had just done a kitchen renovation. So I turned the camera on our own house and photographed yeah. our home office, our girls' homeschool room and photographed all these things. And we were able to sort of pitch them as a deck of images to HGTV that they wow. purchased from us. So it, it's always been kind of this combination of random happenstance being in the right place at the right time, which doesn't really feel good because if that is something you have no control over, which makes it scary. But at the same time, it's always being aware and open to that pivot of when you can create something, when you can move on something. And honestly, just saying yes, a lot of times to opportunities and just seeing where they take you. Yeah. Okay. I have this like boiling question in the back of my mind. I'm going to blame it on my job description. How did you figure out like the money side of all of this personally, but also like pricing such different, I mean, even the fact that you like sold your images to HGTV. I mean, let me ask it this way. What do you feel like you did well when it came to business finances? (laughs) And then (laughs) what would you say were a couple of like pain points? Ooh, it's funny because I still feel, I mean, I'm, I'm the constant saver and warrior in our house. Like I would just be like, we don't ever need to buy anything. We need groceries and we can all sit on the floor and we'll be fine because we have a roof <laughs> over our head then. And so I've, I've learned lately even to let go a little bit of that as, you know, we moved recently, like we moved three minutes from our old house, but into a slightly larger house because our girls are growing. We needed the space, but I would have been like, we can all make it work in 1400 square feet with two teenage daughters in the future. <laughs> which would have been terrible. But, you know, you kind of have to look around at the market around you. And it's really tough because you can't just call up other interior photographers and be like, hey, I'm coming into your business and I want to compete with you. What are you charging? And yeah. so early on, it was really kind of my original price points were, of course, guided by when I was working with Brian Patrick Flynn and what he would pay. It was like, I'll pay you this. And it was like, okay, great. I mean, I have no say so. Then yeah. gradually, as your clientele grows and grows and grows, you can kind of bring those price points up more and more. And I'll be honest, even to this day, I don't know what other people in the Atlanta market charge for interior photography. And everybody prices their structure so differently. Like some people may say, oh, my day rate is $1,500. And then, you know, I might say my day rate's like double that. But that person who says their day rate's $1,500 might charge another $700 for their assistant, might charge $50 per image for post-production. Might yeah. might charge a rental gear fee. Like everybody's everybody has their own way of working with their pricing structure, and so it, it's been kind of a learning curve. But what I I can tell you how I raise prices is yeah. I usually reevaluate them once a year. And what I do is, and I remember hearing this years and years ago, and I don't remember who I can contribute it back to. But they were basically like, when you're ready to take up your price, you take it up on all new inquiries. So. You know, any new designer who reaches out would essentially get my new price point. Then when you've gotten to a place where enough new people have come in and booked at your new price point, now you can start bringing it up on your past clients. Because the fear is, of course, if you bring up your price point on everybody across the board, what if they all go, well, we can't afford that new price and they all go away. So it allows you to kind of have that steady base of clients you worked with while simultaneously working and bringing that price up with new clients. I know I can, (laughs) I probably sound very all over the place creatively and with myself, I don't take myself very serious. I take my job very serious and I'm very numbers focused. At the end of the day for myself and to provide for my family and do what I need to do, 
I basically have broken it down to, I need to photograph a hundred days a year. If I, yeah. if I am camera in hand on a job a hundred days a year, I'm going to be right where I want to be. And yeah. if I fell down to 80, I would still be okay, but a hundred is my goal. And what that allows me to do is go, okay, I need to basically take photos a hundred days a year. A lot of projects, the vast majority are going to be one day photo shoots. You will have some two day photo shoots, and then you will have these kind of unicorn jobs that can be five, six, seven day photo shoots, which are fantastic because that allows you to kind of check off a big chunk at one time. Yeah. Most designers are going to hire you anywhere from, if you have a good relationship with them, one, maybe to three times a year. So that's not very many jobs per client because designers typically are only able to wrap out so many projects in a year because when they're working with a client, it can take them anywhere from six months to two years to finish a project dependent yeah. on so many variables. So if I'm saying I need, if I'm looking at one to three shoots per client, well, now I'm saying I probably need somewhere in the range of 40 to 50 individual clients that are coming back yeah. to me year after year. So that's kind of how I approach it as I'm yeah. trying to get my name out there. Now, is there a tangible way I'm really trying to get my name out there? In the past, I've done like yearly sort of like gift boxes out to clients I've worked with and then out to prospective clients I hope to work with. Social media, of course, is a big one. Instagram is basically just my portfolio sitting out there. Word of mouth is really important. And that's where I approach interiors the same way I still would approach wedding photography. The experience on set with me, to me, is as important as the final images. I hear yeah. horror stories all the time of photographers with ego or attitude, which always cracks me up because I'm like, dude, not only are you not like curing cancer, you're not researching cancer, you're not wearing a t-shirt about cancer. Our jobs are not recession proof. Like yeah. we are taking pretty photos of homes, be a team player. And so I'm yeah. really big on collaboration, a great experience so that when a client leaves, hopefully they're super happy with the photos but they really enjoyed their eight to 10 hours with me. And there's somebody I would, they would like to spend their time with me again. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I love that you said about, you know, you know, your financial need for a family and you know how to back into like how much work you need to take on. I think that's always so helpful. And that was my next big question was on the marketing front. How are you sustaining that calendar? But I want to ask Robert, have there ever been any moments in your business where you saw a big shift or a big windfall or something in regards to marketing where you've really seen your brand grow and how did that come to be? Because that's the thing I heard, not even with just the interior photography, but with your wedding photography as well. Like if you're going to go from 10 to 20 to 40 that quickly, you're doing some things right. And so I'm just wondering, like, was it always word of mouth or did you have some big projects that got noticed that got you a lot of work? I'd love to hear kind of one to two marketing wins, I think would be helpful. I think a lot of it has really been word of mouth. And I'll tell you, like, I have one client. I mean, I can't, they're not like my sole client. Like they work with other photographers, but it's Jaipur Living, which is a rug company based here right outside the suburbs of Atlanta. And I got my first photo shoot with them in maybe early 2021. And it was actually a referral from another photographer who I think the world of. To me, she is the preeminent interiors and architectural photographer. And I'll plug her. Her name's Lisa Petroli. She's based in Dallas, Texas. She does pretty much all the photography for Magnolia, Joanna Gaines. Her work is just stellar. To me, I look at her work and it is just 
so beautifully perfect. It is, it's just gorgeous. I, I just really yeah. admire her work. And I had booked this first job for Jack Poor and photographed it. I had been sharing some of the images on social and I get a message from her saying, Hey, I love your images of Jaipur. Like basically just complimenting saying they're fantastic. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you so much. It was such a weird happenstance. I don't know how they got my name and how they reached out to me, but I'm so happy they did. She goes, I gave them your name. And I thought, what? Like what a class act she is that not only did she share another photographer's name, but she never felt the need to reach out to me and be like, Oh, Hey, I referred you for a job. There was no need. Yeah. She, she didn't need that self-praise, which to me just spoke of how amazing she is because, I mean, part of it is like, to me, like nobody I know is Lisa's competition. Like I'm not Lisa's competition. Lisa is beyond me as a photographer. She, her work, like I said, is just gorgeous. But I thought it was so beautiful. But it was Lisa and I had even, we had talked a little in the past on direct message on Instagram, just sharing compliments on each other's work, asking camera questions, things of that nature. But it was just like, even that, just having that kind friendship. And it was in 2020. I, rem- I don't remember if the job happened in 2020, but the inquiry happened because they originally wanted to hire Lisa. And then they didn't want to have to bring anybody in state because of COVID and everything. And she's like, I know someone in Atlanta. And she referred me. And yeah, so cool. I think word of mouth is so important there because even between designers, I'll say very often when I get a, a new inquiry, it'll be very often, you know, Erica Ward referred you or Matthew Quinn referred you like, and that's so nice. And it's such a, a testament to not just the quality, but the experience you're bringing to your clients and just the type of person you're being around your clients that they want to see you succeed and they share your name. And so that's, again, I I think who you are, how you behave on set is so important. I've had some great projects recently. I shot House Beautiful every year does a big show house and they did one this year in Atlanta and they actually, I'm not sure how they found me, but they inquired through my website when they actually first inquired, I thought it was spam because I was like, there's no way this like big New York magazine's reaching out to me to photograph (laughs) this job. And I was almost going to ignore it. And then I went ahead and responded and it was one of those unicorn jobs. It was an amazing paying job, five day photo shoot here in Atlanta. It was a tremendous amount of work, but it was an amazing creative team to work with. And I really, you know, that came out, it was on shelves for two months. And I thought, this is gonna, this is gonna take me to a new level. Yeah. And I haven't booked anything because of it. And I'm proud of it. I'm proud to have it in my portfolio. I'm so yeah. grateful for the experience I had working with those people. And I might get to work with them again in the future. But it didn't deliver like I thought it would. But yeah. word of mouth very often has delivered beyond what I would yeah. think it could. Yeah. I think that's so interesting, Robert, that you said that because I feel like sometimes you think the things that are going to make the biggest impact, maybe don't like you expect. And some things you never would have expected, like the Lisa Petroli, really, you know, just friendship over Instagram produced an incredible job. And I love, for me, the message I hear is just doing good work, being a good human that people like to be around, you know, just showing up continually and doing that good work. Mm-hmm. I love that because I think so often, you know, I talk a lot about strategy, especially with numbers and understanding data, but sometimes thinking too much or trying to be strategic just feels like you were saying originally, you centric. And I love, of course, I love strategy, being smart, working smarter, not harder, but also just like doing great work. I don't think there's much more we could do better than just showing up and doing our best work. And that pays off and it pays off. And I I think we always want like the easy button and the fast way and 
and it's just kind of one step in front of the other. So I love that so much. Okay, I want to ask you, before we go into a quick fire round, I would love for you to speak to how you have found the harmony of work life and home life. And it sounds like especially with, you know, the girls getting older, Tiffany homeschooling, I'm assuming she's transitioned out of photography now. So how would you say are some ways that you as a family have found that work-life harmony? <laughs> I I am still struggling with that. You know, we, I mean, part of that was doing the math and going, do I need to say yes to every job? And it's hard because when you're self-employed, you know, and I'm sure so many people listen and know, you feel like you have to say yes to every job because also you don't know what job could be that one job that creates that client that rehires you 15 or 20 times a year. You don't know which client yeah. could be that client that's going to place the big order. It's just... You don't know. So there's such a tendency to want to say yes. Going forward, I'm looking at my personal calendar in a certain way where I'm trying to structure when I offer days to clients. I'm offering kind of a Monday to Thursday based schedule to clients. If they can't do that, I'll, of course, be flexible, go outside that. But I'm really trying to protect Friday, Saturday, Sunday to be with my family. And so that kind of guarantees me three days. One of the big things I did, and it's been a huge financial investment, was I outsource my post-production. I still have to touch every photo. I don't like get to get anything back and just send it to my client as is. But my goodness, the amount of human hours it has saved me to outsource it. And it's been so worth it. And it took, my goodness, at this point, it was probably four years ago. I came back from just a big photo shoot. We were still photographing weddings. I was photographing one of the large giveaway HGTV homes. I was flying back and forth between Atlanta and Montana. I think three or four times. And I, about a month later, all of a sudden got this just like terrible, like burning rash, like on my head and my face. And I just went blank. What is it called that chicken pox can turn into? Shingles. shingles. I developed shingles from stress. And I got misdiagnosed what? the first three times because they're like, you're too young to have shingles. And I was like, I'm at least 73 internally. And sure enough, it was shingles. And that was such just a revelation moment for me that like, you can't, burn the, the candle yeah. at both ends all the time. And it, yeah. I literally, I got on Upwork, started just trying to work with different creatives on there, found one guy that I kind of clicked with and it actually created his own business for him. He got off up, Upwork and now basically does post-production for interior photographers. And I've referred mm-hmm. several other people his way. And, you know, I, I'm not spending quite six figures a year on paying him to do post, but I'm paying him a very significant amount of money every year. And if he's too booked up, I have a second guy who I send stuff to, but all that to say, like, I just learned there's places I have to carve out time. And there's things that if I, if it's not a, I don't want to swear on your thing, but if it's not a hell yes, for me at this point, it's a no. Being on set, working with clients is a hell yes. Paying attention to my bookkeeping. I pay attention to it enough to keep me out of getting in like legal trouble. Other than that, I outsource it. I outsource my post-production. I would outsource my emails if I could, but I feel like I really need to talk with clients. And I've actually pivoted from doing emails to when I get an inquiry, I ask if we can hop on a five or 10 minute call because it's much easier and faster for me to talk through everything with a potential client on a five minute phone call than to go back and forth on several emails that are going to take me significantly longer to type out. So there's been a lot of strategies like that put in place and trying to now navigate what days are my photography days, what days are my days to be home with my family. I love all of that. Robert, thank you so much for sharing. You are such a talented photographer. And I remember when you came and photographed a workshop that I hosted, you were, I think you were just starting to get into the 
the interior photography world. Like I remember you had just started rustic white interiors, mm-hmm. I think Instagram handle. And so it's been so neat to watch you photograph these really high profile jobs. And I just have been on the sideline cheering you on. So now I get to really cheer you oh, on. <laughs> no, thank <laughs> you so much. You. Thank you for sharing so much of your story and so much wisdom. I feel like I could just chat, chat, chat with you, but I want to go into just a quick fire round and put you in the hot seat. And it's just really fun little questions. You ready? Sure. Okay. So question number one, what is one thing you would be embarrassed if people knew? Oh, well, originally it would have been the getting shingles from stress, but oh man, these are supposed to be quick answer questions. I'm very open. I have a hard time feeling embarrassed about stuff. I definitely, and I don't like the word imposter syndrome because I think we all suffer from a degree of imposter syndrome. But I think at times the degree of self-doubt I have is unnerving and it makes me nervous almost if that would come out in front of a client and cause them to feel less assurance in me. But again, I think a lot of us struggle with that. I think it's a normal human. That would be the closest I think I have. uh, I'm typically hard to feel embarrassed. Yeah. You know, it's funny you said that. I don't have a ton of embarrassing moments either. I mean, I could for sure have some embarrassing moments, but I just kind of laugh and make sarcastic jokes about myself. Yes, that's my default. But that, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I do. But you know what? I I have the same self-doubt. Like I, and I don't know if that's just a byproduct of being an achiever, a perfectionist. Like I have a, and I think most people probably know this at this point, but I have a email folder on my computer, I call it my sunshine folder. And anytime I have testimonials or kind words, like I put it in there because I have to often be like, Shanna, you're good at your job. <laughs> and when I tell people that, they're like, no way you feel that way. And I'm like, truly, I have to speak truth over myself. Like I am my own worst, the opposite of cheerleader, you know? So thank you for sharing that because I struggle with that too. Okay, second question. Any regrets or wish you could do over moments? I wish I would have been just calmer. And honestly, and this feels, you want an embarrassing moment? This would be an embarrassment moment and cover that too. But I think I'm human, so I'll be open to it. But like, I just could have been a better spouse and a better partner on wedding days. I could have just been a more enjoyable human to Tiffany to tolerate my stress behind the scenes and my worry and my, if we're doing a good enough job and all of that, I I could have been better there for sure. Yeah. We're the same human pretty much <laughs> because right. I'm like, Kyle is the most steady, calm, thank the Lord for him. Because like, <laughs> I'm just like a yo-yo. <laughs> He's just like my calm in the storm. So if there's any moments where Kyle gets stressed, I'm like, I mean, what? What's happening right now? You can't be stressed. <laughs> I'm the only one who's allowed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, Tiff. Like, I mean, it's so funny because I would, um, we, I, we probably all had a mutual friend, Claudia, in the wedding world, who was a hair and makeup artist. And hopefully, I'm not oversharing for her, but her and I would always bond over like being anxious and being stressed. And we would talk about our significant others, and they just don't get that. It's like to talk to Tiff about being anxious or stressed. It's like she just doesn't get that. She's like, "Don't be stressed." And I'm like, "Oh, I hadn't thought of that." <laughs> but it's like the, my brain just their brains are calm yeah. and like comfort in and it's like mine's not mine is in this constant state of like what is the doomsday scenario so then i'm always that's that's when we go back to some of those things we talked about earlier that's a big one for me to pivot on and really start trying to relax a bit about yeah it's like perfectionism is such a great gift makes us detail oriented and it also is such a hard like for me 
control is my kryptonite, the need for control. So, okay, this is so good. Third quick fire. What is a big win or a pinch me moment? Oh man, you know, so Tim Ferriss, who I've always been a big, I'm not going to give you short answers, by the way. I love it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Ferriss has shared before I I loved listening to him and he wrote like the four hour work week and he has the Tim Ferriss podcast. And he shares like, if you're not good at celebrating the little wins, you'll never be good about celebrating the big wins. And that kind of self-deprecating warrior part of me was never very good at celebrating the little wins. And people compliment me and they'd be like, that's so great. Da, da, da. And even Tiff, she'd be like, I'm so proud of you. Da, da. And then I never really let it hit. And then you go and you have the bigger wins and you get, you book the five figure job or you get that client that you've been dying to work with. Or for me, I mean, these, like some of these designers who've hired me, who've worked with some of the biggest names we have around, and now they're hiring me to photograph their next book. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm so flattered and I'm so excited, but it's not hitting me like this pinch me moment yeah. that I, I wanted to. So, and I think part of that was never really learning how to celebrate and enjoy the good moments, mm-hmm. being really good at worrying about the bad moments. And sometimes I think too, often we believe there has to be like this homeostasis where it's like, if it gets too good, then a shoe has to fall to bring me back to homeostasis. And I'm sorry, but like, it doesn't have to be that. It can just yeah. be good. And there will be hills along the way, but there's nothing other than our own built-in cognition that that says, oh, I'm going to just sit sit here and wait for the shoe to drop. There is no shoe that has to drop. There can just be the good moments. Mm -hmm. And then any struggles are just learning opportunities. So I I don't have one. I mean, definitely this last year, getting to photograph the house, beautiful house was huge for me. There's a couple of designers who reached out to me to photograph their next books. I have a big shoe coming up down in Florida with a designer I've never worked with, but I'm really excited to. And Matthew Quinn and an amazing builder. And it's going to be just a huge, beautiful project that, you know, they, they could have hired these other interior and architectural photographers who are double my rate, triple my rate and have longer standing portfolios. And the, it wouldn't have been the money for them or anything else, but they, they like my work. They trust me. And so I'm, I'm really flattered yeah. about it. Yeah. Mm, that's so good. Years ago, I was asked on a podcast, how do you celebrate? And I just went blank. I was like, uh. <laughs> and yeah, that I think was that's what happened. Yep, and that was my moment for me of being like, "Wow, take a minute and truly celebrate." So something Kyle and I've done for a few years now is we set, like, if we launch our our program, like the Blueprint Model is our main course. When we launch that, we'll set little small, like when we get five students, we go bowling. When we get fifteen students, Shanna gets a massage, and it's just this really sweet way of forcing yourself to celebrate even if you're not good at that and so i had never heard that quote by tim ferris and i just i love it because it's so true if you don't celebrate the small wins you won't celebrate the big ones mm, so good okay fourth question what is the best advice or just really good advice that you have received oh man so well i guess one i kind of shared was that tim ferris one because that that to me is a bit more emotional mm-hmm. and sort of driving your joy in life I would say the best financial advice I got early on in business was the moment you book your first job, set 25% of that money aside for taxes. Because especially when you start out, a lot of us start out under like a sole proprietorship and you know, you make $2,000, $5,000, $10,000, whatever your rate is off your first like photo shoot or creative endeavor. If you're not setting that money aside for taxes, you are going to get scarily caught off guard. Yeah come next year. Right. And I remember we heard that early on 
And I started doing it right away. And thank goodness, because I could not have expected the tax bill we were going to get slapped with. And we've pivoted our business twice. I mean, we went from sole proprietorship to LLC to now we function as an S corp. And so basically we pay ourselves like monthly payroll and I pay taxes every month, which is by far our biggest outgoing expense every month to pay. Yeah. Because I was like, we could live in a significantly larger house if I did not have to pay that bill. Every exactly. Month. <laughs> and even at that, it's like, I still, my account every year, she'll come to me and she'll be like, um, you know, I think we should take your monthly payments up. Do you think you're going to make the same next year? And for the last like three or four years, I'm like, no, no, no. I think this was like a fluke year and it's not going to be as good. So let's not take it up. And then every year ends up being better than the year before. And then April comes and she's like, okay, well, now you still owe this much. And I'm like, oh God. <laughs> Like I should just listen to your accountant and do the things she says. But uh, that definitely was like the best financial advice we ever got because you don't want to mess with the government, yeah. you those taxes. So just like, obviously write off everything you can, but plan for doomsday, 25% at least get you in the ballpark. Yeah. And hopefully, obviously it'll be a lot less or it could potentially be more, but it gets you in the ballpark of at least having some money set aside as a safety net. Yeah. Oh, and isn't it so eye-opening when... I do these exercises with my students or clients where it's like, okay, what would it, what would you have to do to make $100,000 personally? And then I'm like, okay, $100,000. Then we add taxes and then we add overhead and then we add cost of goods. And it's like, you need 250000 in sales. And they're like, what? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm... You feel like you make a lot of money until all the things come out. <laughs> and I, you know, I appreciate my accountant. I There's times I wish maybe she was a little more aggressive for me, but I'll like put all these things in there and I'll be like, it's a business expense. And she's like, that's not a business expense. <laughs> and I'm like, so then it's like, I thought I had all these write-offs and they come way, way down because she keeps me in the doing the right thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, I remember back in when I'm talking over a decade ago when it was like, oh my gosh, we made a hundred thousand dollars this year. And then like by the time expenses and taxes and everything else, you're like, we should go be two elementary school teachers because at least then we get insurance. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, the joys, the ups and downs, the journey. <laughs> so good. Okay, last quick fire question. What are you working on now or one resource that you would like to share? Ooh, what am I working on now? <laughs> right now, nothing. January was insanely busy. I only had four days in all of January where I was not actively on a job. February, I photographed one job. And that's just kind of the flux too that you have to learn to live with. As far as a resource, oh man, I'll say like, there's been a big pivot in my life recently towards, you know, paying a lot more attention to friends and family and relationships. I've been kind of a big Jay Shetty nerd lately yeah. in his podcast. Mm -hmm. And he is all about, you know, relationships. His book just came out. He's actually going to be in Atlanta tomorrow night for his tour. And I decided to try to look to buy tickets today. And of course it sold out. Yeah. And I was like, way to procrastinate. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think even though it's like, this is business centric, I think one of the most important things if I could go back and redo things, don't ever sacrifice relationships at the expense of business. Now, I will say, and I listened to Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry shared this, and and I agree with it too. But he said, like, don't don't be afraid to let relationships go, because he said, think of it as like a rocket, and the rocket going to space, and it has boosters, and those boosters eventually they fall off, and that can be certain relationships because maybe they're not going to the altitude you're going to. Maybe their destination isn't where your destination is. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean that relationship failed or that friendship was bad. It just meant you were going in different directions. And I completely agree with that. I also feel very strongly that we can be driven. We can have our creative endeavors. We can have our businesses. But we have to, as we're building that, support those relationships around us, yeah. our family, our friends, 
those that matter the most. Because if you get to where you're going, first off, it's the journey. It's not the destination. And if you get there and you don't have anyone to celebrate it with, yeah. it's going to be incredibly unfulfilling to celebrate it. So yeah. I, I think my personal big growth lately has just been relationships and fulfillment in that part of my life. Granted, that's also, I spent the last 10 years working really hard to try to build up photography yeah. to feel established enough. And I still work hard on it. I still stress about it. And I still constantly educate myself on it. Yeah. But if I was to send listeners with something, it would be the importance of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Okay, Robert, what a good conversation. Thank you for coming on the show today. It's been fun to catch up because we, I haven't got to hear about the interior photography side. I mean, that's grown since I've seen you last. So that was so fun. And I just want you to send it off. And, and this might be similar, honestly, to what you just shared. But if you were to look back now to day one of becoming an entrepreneur, starting businesses, what would you tell yourself on day one? Oh God, enjoy the process. Yeah. Like enjoy it because I look back and I'm like, it's so often it, well, at least for me, every single thing is worked out. It's all worked out, but how much more enjoyable it could have been along the way to enjoy it working out, Yeah, not losing sleep over it, not stressing about it. You could still work just as hard and enjoy it and have a smile and celebrate with others. So just like, I would look back and just calm that kid down and be like, enjoy it shingle sucks. You don't want to get it. <laughs> Just enjoy the process. Yeah. Oh my goodness. What a joy you are. This has been fun. And I hope to see you IRL sooner than later. I know. It'd be really nice to actually cross paths and we could ramble for two hours at dinner. I know. That'd be fantastic. Rather than me for ramble an hour on your podcast. But no, thank you so much for having me on. I'm always flattered when people reach out and ask me to do these things. So yeah. seriously, thank you a bunch. And I can't wait to cross paths with you soon. I know. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, Wildflower, you just finished another episode of Consider the Wildflowers, the podcast. Head over to considerthewildflowerspodcast.com for show notes, resource links, and to learn how you can connect with Robert. One final thought from today from Tim Ferriss. If you aren't good at celebrating the small wins, you aren't going to be good at celebrating the big wins either. I'm off to create my jar of awesome. Thanks, Tim Ferriss. I'll catch you next time.